Welcome to the I Heart My Life show with success coach Emily Williams. Tune in daily to learn how to design a life you love, create more success and wealth, move past fear and blocks, and bring more joy into your life and business. It's time to create a life that's better than your dreams. Hey everyone, it's Emily Williams here, the founder of I Heart My Life and your host of the I Heart My Life show. So we have an amazing show for you today full of lots of really inspirational stories and ways in which you can really step as step up as a leader in your industry. So we have Michael Roderick here. He is the founder of Small Pond Enterprises, a company that works at the intersection of relationship building and thought leadership. He helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders through the same methodology he used in his own experience from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years, which is amazing. He is also the founder of ConnectorCon, as well as the host of the podcast, Access to Anyone. So Michael, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm really thrilled to dive into your story because we actually know each other through a Facebook group, but we haven't really you know, spoken before or connected in a um, way like this. And so I'm going to be hearing your story a little bit for the first time and a little bit more about your work. Um, and from what I've read so far, I know this is going to be a really powerful episode. Thanks so much. I guess the, the thing that I would start with is, you know, I started as a high school English teacher and I was interested in theater. I was always sort of you know, doing shows, writing, working on different projects. Uh, but I had this uh, point where it was very, very early on in the internet when, you know, Yahoo groups was a thing, if you guys can uh, <laughs> remember that. And I had a friend who started sending out these things to listservs, basically saying, like, here are people that we're looking for. We're looking for some writers for this or some actors for this or different things like that. So I started just making introductions. I started just kind of connecting people within the theater world. And what happened was I had all of these companies that suddenly wanted to get to know me. So I started hosting events where I brought lots of different theater people together and more and more people knew me in that world. And I had this moment where I was producing, I was working on like different shows, but I hadn't gotten to the Broadway level yet. And I was at this event and there was somebody who I had seen speak at a panel and I was very, very nervous. I, I wasn't sure about going up to this person, but I said, you know, if I don't go up and ask this person just to talk, then I might as well forget about being a Broadway producer. So I went up, I interrupted the very first conversation I had ever interrupted in my life at a party. Uh, and I said, you know, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I just, I love the work that you do. I'm really, really excited about producing. And she uh, turned to me and started asking me questions about the work that I did and my teaching and and the following day, she invited me to a meeting of the Broadway League, uh, and I started to meet a bunch of people from the Broadway world, and that's really where this all got started. I started to meet lots of different Broadway producers and started to help them, and that's what led to me uh, getting to the Broadway level in such a short period of time. Amazing. So there's a few pieces in there that I want to talk more about. So first of all, so you were this English teacher, and had you had experience um, in the theater world? Yes, I had. I uh, I had acted and I had been a writer uh, and I had directed before, but I had really only produced on the smallest of levels, you know, doing little shows in 99 seat theaters and things like that. 
So it was more, I mean, I don't know if you would call it a hobby, but it was something you did on the side and then teaching was your main profession. Exactly. Yeah. Teaching was the main gig and weekends, afternoons, anytime that I wasn't teaching, I was doing something theater uh, oriented. And so when you were growing up, did you make a decision to go into teaching for a specific reason? Like what I find with a lot of my guests is sometimes, and even in my own journey, there's this point where we decide to take the safe route or the accepted mm-hmm. route. Was that part of your story? Oh, that totally was. It was, a, it was actually a negotiation with my parents um, because my mother uh, uh, was a kindergarten teacher. And one of the things that we had a discussion about was if I was going to school and I was going to major in theater, I had to double major. So I had to also uh, do education. And originally I was looking at being a, um, a kindergarten teacher as well. But when I started working with high school students, I realized I just loved that more. So I switched into secondary at English. So I was secondary at English and theater performance in, uh, in college. And what was their reasoning for that? So the reason uh, for me was I knew that at the time I knew that teaching was like a steady was a steady gig, and I also knew that I was good at it. I uh, when I would do my student teaching and I would do presentations, I would have a lot of veteran teachers telling me, you know, you really have something here. You're very good at explaining concepts and explaining ideas. So when I started, even my first year, and everybody's first year as a teacher is, is brutal, but even in my first year, I had a lot of other teachers uh, who were impressed with the, the way that I taught and sort of the style and, and all those different types of things. But it was the safe thing, right? It was, it, it was the steady paycheck. It was, you know, so, and it gave me that ability to be able to do some theater stuff uh, without having to worry about, was I going to get paid next week? <laughs> Definitely. And do you remember having a specific conversation with your parents where they literally said to you, you know, that you could go into theater, but you had to choose something else as well? Oh, yes. Yeah, my mom. I remember sitting down with my mom and her saying, you know, totally fine if you want to if you want to go into theater, but you also have to be a teacher because otherwise you're not going to be able to eat was uh, was her (laughs) her take on things. And looking back on that, how do you feel about it now? I mean, I think that I, I think that it was good for me. You know, I think that sometimes people sort of look at those moments as like, oh, well, I was being forced into doing something. Um, but I think it was more along the lines of, for me, it was a practical solution, but it gave me a skill that is carried throughout my entire life. So as a Broadway producer, I was always educating people on the investment opportunities and helping them understand what they were putting their money into. And then even now in my work as a coach and as a consultant, I'm always teaching. I'm always presenting this information. So I think it's one of those things where I don't look at it from the angle of, oh, uh, that was that thing that I was pushed into, I look at it as this was presented to me as a practicality and I did it and it gave me skills that now carry over into all sorts of other aspects of my life. I love that. Yeah, I really love that because I think that you're completely right. So, so often we blame our parents for all the decisions that we make or the things that we're forced into or even the way that we think in terms of mindset. But there are a lot of... um, 
reasons why our parents are the way that they are, you know, from their own um, history and the way that they've grown up. And, and most of the time, they just want the best for us. And I think for a lot of us who have journeying, in, journeying into the entrepreneurship path, um, we think that we can't necessarily use what we, the career we had previously or the degree that we have, but that's most of the time, in my experience, not true. There's ways where it all fits together and kind of intersects. And when you look back, you can see that, you know, you were on the right path all along. It just might have curved or gone a different direction than what you expected. Exactly. And I think that, you know, a lot of the time we, we try to compartmentalize so much. We're always kind of in this place of, oh, well, if I do this particular job, then that's a boring job or that's a day job. You know, you, you see that a lot with, especially in the performance world, actors, it's like, well, what's the day job? But the thing is, you're learning skills that you are going to be able to carry with you and use uh, in, in your life. So I think it's so important to pay attention to even some of the instances. I, I worked in an edu- educational technology startup at one point. And even, you know, though the startup world wasn't for me, I learned so much about the importance of tracking, about building relationships with people in technology, understanding technology. So I feel like everything that you do has a contribution, regardless of how you're viewing it, uh, often at the time. Oh, I agree completely. And I want to talk about that moment where you went up and you interrupted that conversation for the first time. So I think that's really powerful that you even realize, you know what, this is the first time I've interrupted someone. And I think that really speaks to maybe some of us being brought up a certain way or being really strict in terms of manners or whatever it is. But it also speaks to you really stepping up and taking kind of your future in your own hands and putting yourself out there, which is something that can be really, really scary for people. So I'd love to know what was going on internally for you and then what helped you actually make that decision and interrupt that conversation. Sure. So I think that it really came down to this aspect of questioning worth. Uh, And I think that that is often at the heart of a lot of our challenges when we want to ask something or when we want to reach out to somebody, but we don't do it. We sort of, we say, well, who am I? to reach out to this person or connect to this person. And I remember just having this moment during that during that experience where I just said, you know what, what is the absolute worst that can happen? Yeah. What's the absolute best thing that can happen? And can I live with both? And when I realized that, I was like, I can. I can live with both. So let me just do it. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, you know, no problem. And that's actually carried over into a number of frameworks that I've, uh, that I've taught. I call it the tennis novice versus the tennis pro. And the tennis novice, if they miss a shot, the game's over because they're basically thinking about the outcome. They're hoping that they're going to win the game. A tennis pro misses a shot and says, okay, I missed a shot. What can I learn? How can I change? What can I, what can I shift? And even if they lose the game, they understand that there's more games to, to go. And I think that the more that you make yourself a student of the process as opposed to a slave to the product, the more likely you're going to be able to do those big asks, to interrupt those conversations, to reach out to people, because you're not focused on the idea of if this thing doesn't work out, I'm just kind of finished. You're focused on the idea of I'm always learning no matter what happens. That's so true. And I want everyone listening to really, really hear you when you say that, like this, this element of, you know, be the student of the process. And remember that 
the one failure that you have or whatever, however big or small it might be, that's not the end for you. And how can you continue to shift and be stronger and do it better the next time? That's so, so powerful. And the other thing I want to point out is um, I really relate to everything that you're saying regarding um, that shift in mindset. I remember when I decided to become an entrepreneur, I did that same thing. I call it following the fear. And I followed it and said, okay, so if I start this business and it doesn't work out, what's the worst that could happen? And when I followed the fear, it was really just me getting another job. And at the time, my job was paying me about $30,000 a year. And I figured I could probably get another job that would pay me $30,000 a year. So if that's the worst that could happen, then I'm going to do okay, right? And then you yeah. have the confidence to move forward. And I think so often we have these big dreams or these big steps or even interrupting the conversation feels like a mountain we need to climb. But if we just follow the fear, we can see that we can handle it regardless of the outcome. Yeah, it's, it's totally true. And, and I think that, I think it was uh, Seth Godin who uh, referred to fear as a compass. And I really, really love that idea of it, it's sort of giving you this direction to go. And the second that you feel that feeling of like, oh, I'm not really sure about this, that's when you need to push and actually make that thing happen. Yeah, I always say to my clients, you can either be scared or rich. And it's not that mm. fear is not along for the journey the entire time, but you have to decide, are you going to be scared or happy, scared or put yourself out there, scared or rich, scared or whatever it may, may be, have that impact. Um, and fear can be that thing that points you in the right direction, telling you like, this is something big and you need to listen and need to take action. And the other piece of what you shared is, ju is just that little instinct that you had like I need to go and talk to that person I think so many people overlook those moments or they just brush them aside and just say that's crazy town they don't want to hear from me and come up with all the excuses in the book but you actually went for it yeah and I think that it's it's one of these common things that come up we we often answer the question before we get the answer right so we're just like oh well that person this is how they'll feel or this is how they're going to respond and we live in that and then we just join the line of all those other people who basically say oh well that person's too busy that person isn't interested as opposed to just testing our assumptions and when we test our assumptions there's so much that we can learn and there's so much that we can discover for sure Amazing. So bring me back. So you had that you interrupted the conversation. Um, you had it sounds like you had a great conversation with that woman. And so um, break it down a little bit more for us. What happened next that really led you to the coaching and the work that you do now? Sure. So basically, I was doing a ton of uh, producing and people were asking me how I was getting into the doors that I was getting into. So I've always been very fascinated with what causes us to do things. Like, why do we do things? How do we think about things like asking and giving and what are the issues that come up? So what I was doing at the time was I was getting my master's in educational theater from NYU. And one of the things that we learned about was simulations, where basically you would act out scenarios in order to learn new information. So what I would do is I actually started to have people act out uh, job interviews, cocktail parties, social gatherings, and then talk to them about what they experienced. And the more that I talked to them, I started to notice a lot of patterns in relationship building. And from those patterns, I started to develop frameworks. 
So it started with me just meeting with different actors who wanted to try and get to the next level in their careers and saying, oh, well, have you ever thought about it this way? Or have you ever tried this? Or what I've noticed is this. And they started to do really well. So more and more people started coming to me and saying, you know, this is really helpful. This is really useful. And eventually somebody was like, you know, you probably should get paid for this. You know, the fact that you're, you're helping these people solve, you know, so, so many different types of problems. Uh, so I really started to think about, okay, well, what is the value and sort of where does that, where does that lie? And I realized that there are so many people who they feel like it's taking them too long to get places. So how could I help them overcome that? How could I help them shorten that timeline? And very, very often it came down to the relationships that they had, the networks that they had, and their ability to ask and to be able to be comfortable with asking and really create a flow of giving and asking in their, uh, in their networks and in their relationships. Oh, amazing. So I want to pick it up right there when we get back from the break. There's so many nuggets there from asking and building those connections. I know one of my friends who you might know as well, Chris Winfield, he talks about how your network is your net worth. (laughs) And I've seen that in my own life, not just from a financial perspective, but really from an emotional perspective, you know, in every single way that support system and the people I know have been so, so beneficial along this journey. So let's talk about that in just a second when we come back. Do you want to learn how to make and attract more money in your business? If so, my iHeartMoney Live program is for you. It's a 10-week program where you can jump in, learn all about money mindset, how to transform the way you think about money, your relationship with money, and in turn, make more money in your business. So if you're interested, go to iHeartMoneyLive.com. I'd like you to meet Dr. Faye Wilson, change agent, ordained minister, and host of Intentional, right here on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. Dr. Faye, America Out Loud is all about the vision of the voices. How can one's voice make the ultimate difference? The messages of this program and others that are on the Out Loud platform are so powerful that are reaching the world with positive messages. Even as a news platform, it is doing news in a different way so that people are actually standing up and paying attention to what's being said. And again, walking away from the table, having these discussions. I have people, let me tell you this quickly, I have people in my prayer group that are now listening to the Outlaw platform and they're texting me and calling me going, wow. We are excited you're here. AmericaOutloud.com. Our commitment is clear to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Williams, and this is the I Heart My Life show. We're here with Michael Roderick talking all about taking action towards your dreams, asking for what it is that you want, and building those powerful connections in your network. So, Michael, before the break, you were mentioning how important it was for all the actors you were working with specifically to start to build that network and to ask for what it is that they want. And that really, really resonates for me from everything from my personal life to business. I remember when my husband and I were thinking about getting married, 
we were trying to think about the perfect venue. And here in London, my dream location has always been the Ritz Hotel. And I remember telling my husband, oh, let's just go. Let's meet with the event planner and see you know, what she has to say. And he said, oh, no, there's no way that we can afford that. And I said, well, you don't know until you ask. And so we set up the appointment. And it turns out that was the perfect place for us. And we could afford it. But I think so often, whether it is personal or business, we put these barriers in our path and we don't ever ask. We don't ever think outside the box. We don't ever check to see if they're even real or imagined. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and how you help people with that specific thing. Sure, sure. So um, so basically the way I look at asking is that there's four ways to think about it. And what you're referring to is the last part of it. So the four ways spell the word dime. Uh, so the very first way that we think about asking is the D, which is for the direct. And that is when we think, I need to just go up to somebody and say, can you give me this thing? Can you help me with this thing? And the problem is, that's the way most people are taught to ask. They're taught, if you don't ask, you don't get. You've just got to ask for it. But the fact of the matter is, if we've met somebody for the first time, that is going to trigger the fight or flight response in the brain because we're still deciding whether or not we trust each other in the initial interaction. Now, as we get to know people over time and we develop deeper relationships, then we're much better at being able to ask directly because there's already that rapport. But for initial interactions, starting with a direct ask can trigger that fight or flight. So the question is, what do you do to leave that direct ask world and do something that changes the brain's chemistry? And that's the I, which is for indirect. And in an indirect ask, what you do is you present to somebody, this is the problem or the challenge that I'm experiencing. Do you have any ideas? And what happens is the brain can't stay in fight or flight. It has to go up to the level of reasoning because it has to be creative to solve the issue and to fix the problem. The other thing is that our brains are obsessed with filling in gaps. So uh, this is why like when we watch uh, a Netflix show, we want to watch the next episode. Our brains are basically like, I need to fill in this gap. So if we present somebody with a problem and we invite them to be a thought partner in helping solve it, they're much more likely to actually help us solve it because they want to fill in the gap. It's actually the brain chemistry that's making it work. But then if we wanted to go even deeper in regards to that type of ask, it's the mutually beneficial where we take the time to study what are the things that the other person needs and what are the things that the other person's looking for and how can we present how it's going to be a win-win. And then the very last is the E, which is the extraordinary, which ties to your situation with the Ritz, which in the extraordinary ask, you ask yourself what you believe is impossible. You ask yourself, who is somebody who maybe I don't think I could ever reach out to, or who is somebody that I feel maybe wouldn't necessarily be interested in what I have to say, and I'm going to test that assumption anyway. And what's really, really fascinating when we deal with people who have influence or who have reached much, much higher levels is that most people who interact with them ask directly because they believe that that person is their savior. They believe that that person is going to solve all of their problems. So if we're the ones to come with an indirect ask or a mutually beneficial ask, we stand out from 90% of the people that are reaching out because we're actually taking the time to think about them. We're taking the time to really engage them in conversation and change the way that the brain is working. 
Oh, wow. Amazing. So I really resonate with all of that. I want to pull it apart a little bit. So especially the fill in the gaps piece. And I love the Netflix example. I'm currently um, watching this very cheesy 90s uh, drama <laughs> that oh, I somehow nice. missed. Party of Five. You may remember it. Oh, yes. I remember Party of Five. <laughs> yeah. And along the side of Netflix, it has, like, as you're watching the episode, it has the little squares where you can scroll and you can see what's coming up next and you can read the descriptions. And so I've been, like, reading before before I even get there because I want to know what's going to happen to these characters. Are they finally going to get together after like five years after I've invested so much of my life? Right. Um, and so I totally, totally get that. And then I love how you said that even just asking, especially in the ways you're describing, that sets us apart. And I think so many people think that that special connection or that person they really admire doesn't want to hear from them and that they won't respond to them. And so they don't even try. And then you're giving us another way to try and to take it a step further and have much more, much stronger results when it comes to actually asking. Yeah. And it's one of those things where a lot of the time the anxiety that you're experiencing is coming from that feeling from the direct ask because when, we, when we're in fight or flight, cortisol gets released. We, we have these like really, really intense moments. So if you're asking somebody directly, you feel like you're in the wild and you're stealing their food and they feel like you're trying to steal their food. So it doesn't really work. But if you reframe it and you think about it as an indirect or a mutually beneficial, suddenly you're in this position of, oh, I'm just supporting this person or I'm just helping this person. I'm giving them something as opposed to just taking something from them. So all of a sudden you're just less nervous, less concerned because you realize that you have value. And I think that the thing that happens a lot of the time is that we think that because of wherever we are in life, we don't have value to those who are above us in, in some capacity. But the fact of the matter is, we all have things that we study, things that we've learned that they haven't taken the time to learn or think about. So there's always ways that we can be helpful to those individuals, regardless of what level they're at, and more, more importantly, what ever level we're at. So I think a lot of people, when they're at the beginning stages, they think, well, who am I to, to reach out to this person? But the fact of the matter is, you have something to offer. And in some cases, people get a charge out of mentorship. They get a charge out of going, you know, sending the elevator back down and saying, how can I help this person achieve their dreams and their goals? So you're giving them that good feeling when you go to them and you reach out and you say, this is what I'm trying to do. So it's so important to pay attention to that and not discount what you have to offer. Such an incredible reminder. And do you have any tips of ways in which people, say someone who is more of a new entrepreneur, could put this into practice? Sure. So I would say uh, one thing that you could do that would be really useful is come up with some kind of environment where you can invite that individual at that higher level where they can actually interact and see what you're able to do. So often when I'm working with clients and they want to do more with a particular industry, let's say that they haven't had a chance to meet yet, what I'll do is I'll suggest that they create a panel and then they host the panel because then they get to show their expertise, they create this really interesting idea or this concept and what happens is rich and bored, the way I like to look at it is rich and bored is attracted to talented and crazy. So if you can come up with something that's really kind of interesting 
then a lot of the time the people who have folks always coming to them all the time saying the same things, they're like, oh, I want to sit on that panel. I want to talk about that topic. And then that's how you bring those people bring those people together. The other thing I think is as a beginner, a lot of the time we think, oh, well, I couldn't really host anything because I'm not that popular yet or I'm not that well known yet. But hosting is one of the best ways to get over your anxiety because you're actually in control of the environment. A lot of people think that if you're at the beginning stage, you should go to a large networking event or a large gathering and just try to sort of like make it work. But if you're in the early stages, it's much, much better to host your own small gathering, invite some people that you're really interested in meeting, and basically build up that social energy. And I think if I hadn't been hosting theater events, I would never have really been able to go up to that woman and interrupt because I wouldn't have had that confidence in the fact that I had things to offer and that there were things that I could do. So that hosting aspect, I think, really builds up something in you and changes the way that you feel uh, when it comes to reaching out to people at higher levels. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And what if you're, say, someone like me who we're planning a big live event and we have some amazing speakers lined up, but there are certain people who, maybe not for this event, but maybe for the next one, I'd love to have as our main speakers. Yet I haven't necessarily fostered that relationship yet. A couple of them I don't even know yet. How would you recommend that I go about that? So with that particular aspect, it's what are you creating in terms of that event that's different from all the other things that they're being asked to speak about? So a lot of the time what happens is when people reach out to somebody at, uh, who's a popular speaker, they're usually looking for them to talk about whatever the thing is that they're most popular on. And if you're the person who reaches out and says, you know, I feel like nobody really discusses this topic and I'm curious, is that something that you'd be interested in digging into? So maybe you've listened to a podcast interview with somebody and you realize, oh, you know, this person has a fascination with uh, gender dynamics. So I know that they talk about leadership all the time, but I'm actually going to reach out to them and see if they'd want to talk about gender dynamics at my event. So that, I think, is one of the uh, really good way to just get people who they get asked all the time. Uh, and there's this great story about David Bowie uh, where there was, this, uh, there, there was this writer who wanted to get a story. And when he reached out, rather than asking about Ziggy Stardust or any of those types of things, he said to the publicist, I want to talk to David about his saxophone playing. And as a result, publicists did not hang up the phone, actually got him on, and then you got to do the whole interview. Got to do all sorts of different things. So maybe thinking about ways, is there something that nobody's talking about or very few people are talking about that could be really interesting to that person? And they're like, wow, I get to speak about that? I never get to speak about that. So now they want to come to your event for that reason. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. And one of the things that you mentioned is really, you know, thinking about what might be mutually beneficial. And I think for me, oftentimes the people who have stood out have been people who have come to me and said, well, how can I support you? What do you need right now? What's going on? What can I, you know, share with my audience that would really help you? And even it's, you know, certain friends have done that. And it's really, I think, a way to build that connection and establish that trust. And I think it's really rare. You know, I can count on one hand the amount of people who have said that to me. 
but I, you know, still remember who they are. And I do my best to say that to people as well. You know, how can I serve you? What do you need right now? Because I think that's also a way um, to create that relationship. Would you agree? Yeah. And I think the other, the sort of other level of that is, can you be proactive about it? So can you know, like, look at what is this person currently working on? And rather than just going to them with, you know, I'm curious what you need support in, you go to them and you say, you know, I noticed that you've been working on this. Would this introduction be helpful to you? So I've noticed that you've been spending a lot of time in the tech world uh, and you're trying to build out this software. I'm curious. I actually know an entire dev team uh, that used to work at Google and a bunch of different places, would that be helpful to you? And a lot of the time, with people who are at very, very high levels, they don't want to make the decision about thinking through, okay, well, how could I, uh, what do I actually need? Like, what yeah. am I looking for? So if you're the one to be proactive about that, it really changes that dynamic, and they see you in a much, much different way. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that. Awesome. And so when you work with clients now, I know this is one of the things that you work on. What else do you have in your your toolbox? Sure. So another thing that I do is I help my clients look at what it is that they're trying to say. And I help them think about it in the context of, I call it a referable brand. So what tends to happen is that most people, when they think about brand, they think about differentiation. They think about how am I different from everybody else? But what they don't necessarily always think about is memory. How is it super easy for people to remember my content and my material? So what is the image that I create about what I do? What is the Venn diagram that I have? What is that three-step process or that mnemonic? And when you come up with stuff like that, what happens is people remember it and then they share it with their friends and it keeps referring back to you. So a lot of the time when I'll be working with somebody and they, they're going to be a speaker, let's say, um, they're about to do a presentation, I'll look at the presentation and say, okay, is there a way to package this presentation so that people will be able to remember it? So can we take the three concepts that you want to put into this presentation and can we create a word out of those, out of those three concepts? Or can we create an image that people can follow while they're watching it so that later on at the event, they say, oh, you're the person who talked about the ladder. Or, oh, you're the person who talked about TCM. Or you're the person who talked about dying. Those types of things. And this has just been from my own experience in both Broadway as well as as an entrepreneur. When you create that referable brand, when you come up with things that are super easy for people to remember, they constantly refer back to your work. So more and more clients come your way. People who are at higher levels are interested. It's much better from a press standpoint because it's very, very easy for somebody to take those three bullets and have it be an article or an interview. So it's a very, very powerful tool. Just like what you shared with us, the whole dime concept. Exactly. Love it. That's such a great reminder and tool. Awesome. So let's pause here for one second and we'll pick up after the break. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. 
Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Are you looking to move forward with your dream coaching business? I know when I was first starting out as a coach, I had no idea where to start. I didn't know how to launch my website. I had no clue who I wanted to work with, what sort of program to create, or even how to get started. If you're feeling like that, not to worry. I have the perfect program for you. We've created iHeart Coaching for the aspiring and new coach alike, and it's available for registration today. So go to iHeartCoaching.com to find out how you can start your own dream coaching business and join the world's most successful, making a huge impact in the world. We're back. It's Emily Williams. This is the I Heart My Life show, and I'm here with Michael Roderick. So before the break, we were talking all about this DIME framework, which really helps people like you start to build those amazing connections, create that network, and really ask for what it is that you want and do it in a way that creates trust and creates deeper relationships. One of the other things that Michael is really amazing at talking about is this thing that he calls the giver's fix. So I want to talk about that and the relationship between giving and debt. So Michael, I'd love to hear your thoughts on both. Sure. So the giver's fix uh, has to do with the fact that anytime we give, it releases a chemical in our bodies. So some refer to it as oxytocin, some refer to it as dopamine. Whatever the, whatever the chemical is that is happening, anytime we give, we get a good feeling. We actually get a rush as a result of that giving. So what happens for a lot of people is they actually get hooked on giving. So every single time that they give, they get that rush. But if they ask, there is no chemical reaction associated with asking. So what tends to happen is just like an addict, we are like searching for our next fix. We just give and give and give and help people. And we're just like, oh, my God, I feel so great. I feel so wonderful. But then we're never letting people know what it is that we actually need. And once that happens, we get into this place of we're so everybody loves us and we're connection rich and in many cases cash poor because we're solving everybody else's problems. We're doing all these great things, but we're never actually doing anything for ourselves and the people around us start to make assumptions. So one assumption that somebody will make if you're always a giver, if like every single time you're talking to somebody, you're always giving they start to assume that you have no needs because how could you possibly be any in any state of need or or suffering if you're just always giving if you're always always helping and always supporting and then the other side in terms of how we're perceived ties into this idea of the relationship between giving and debt so every single person has what i like to refer to as a reciprocity impulse 
And what that means is we have a, a desire to give back when we receive something. But certain people have a different timeline on that reciprocity impulse. So there are some people, if I give to you, you'll instantly want to give something back to me right away. And then there are other people, if you give to them, you may not hear from them for three or four weeks, but when they do come back to you, or even a year in some cases, but when they do come back to you, they may give you something ridiculous. And in other cases, there are people who they never even think about giving anything back as, as a result of that. So the thing is, if you have somebody who has a very strong reciprocity impulse and you're always giving, here's what starts to happen. So let's say you meet someone, you start to make a connection, you make an introduction. Following week, you send them, uh, you, you send them to an event. Following week, you send them some like good article or some good material. They keep asking you, what can I help you with? And you're just like, no, it's totally fine. I'm a giver. It's all good. In their mind, because they have such a strong reciprocity impulse, that's like credit card debt. They actually start to think about, oh my God, every single time I talk to Emily, I'm getting something and how will I ever be able to pay this back? So what happens is some of these people, they actually start to avoid you because they feel like they have this massive credit card debt with you and they feel like they could never give back in any way. So the only way that we're able to uh, help those people when they have that debt feeling is to basically ask them for the things that we need, let them know that we need something, that way they have that relief of, oh my God, okay, I've finally been able to give something back and we can keep the relationship as opposed to having them eventually start to avoid us in much the same way that people will avoid phone calls when they have uh, large amounts of credit card debt. Wow, that's so fascinating. How did you come to realize this and really come up with all these frameworks? So a lot of it came from my own personal experience. I was uh, very much uh, a giver, uh, you know, I still am in many, in, in many ways, but I was very much the connection-rich, cash-poor type where it was like I was always helping, solving other problems, helping people do these massive deals and all these different types of things. And I had um, basically a moment in my life, uh, I have an 18-month-old daughter, and when my daughter was born, she was born not breathing. So we had five weeks in the NICU, and I was working for myself. My wife had to leave, you know, leave her job. So we, we had uh, the doula set up a GoFundMe, and there were people donating to us and just, like, helping us out. It was the first time in my, really, that I had this, like, moment of, like, receiving. Um, so I eventually started to really study this once I got past all of all of those experiences. And I said, I feel like there's tons of people who struggle with this. I feel like there are tons of people who have this issue. Um, so what can I do to help them understand it? And what I realized was that in most relationship building information, uh, there are formulas where basically people are like, say it this way or do it this way. And the problem with the formula is that if you don't follow the formula to the T, you suddenly think that you're wrong. You suddenly think that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing in the relationship building side of things. So what I realized was that nobody was actually creating frameworks, just different ways to think about it so that you could execute on these things in your own way. So through my own experiences of having been, you know, done a ton of giving and having to, you know, uh, figure out how to receive and how do I create that balance personally, 
I started to see it in other people and it made it so easy for me to notice it in my clients where it was just like they would say, they would talk about why they were struggling and they would have this massive group of people around them who could help them and I would just be like, so why haven't you asked any of these people for support or for help? And because I've been through it, I could see where those challenges were and I would give them these frameworks to help them solve those problems. And don't you find that when it comes to asking for that support, sometimes there's a lot of shame around that. Like, I shouldn't need this support. I should be able to stand on my own two feet. I don't want anyone to know that I'm in this place. Yep. Yeah, I think that a lot of people do struggle with that. I think the the way that I help uh, a lot of my clients specifically with that is I talk about the oxytocin side of things. So I basically say, if you're getting a rush every single time that you give to other people, if you're helping other people and you're getting that good feeling, but you never let the people in your life know what it is that you need, you're actually robbing them of that good feeling. You're robbing them of the opportunity to feel helpful. You're robbing them of that oxytocin, that dopamine, all of those types of things. So by just constantly giving and never letting your network know what you need, you're actually being more selfish because you're just taking all that good stuff and you're not giving anybody else the experience that you get to have when you're helping and supporting others. And that's the perfect way to phrase it for people who want to create these beautiful relationships and want other people to feel loved. If they're hurting and being selfish, they don't want to hear that. Exactly. I love that. And so with your work with your clients, you've mentioned a few things that you do in terms of helping them with these frameworks. What is the overall big picture around the type of work that you do and who you specialize with? Sure. So the way I frame it is that I help thoughtful givers become thought leaders. So when I think about the journey, usually the individual that I end up working with, most of the time they're in some kind of coaching or personal development space, but I've had everything from, I've had gyms as clients, I've had all sorts of, you know, kind of random uh, opportunities. Uh, But most of the time they're in the middle. So they're not beginners and they haven't hit that level that they want to get to yet, but they have a lot of great content. They have a lot of great material, but they've been so focused on solving their clients' problems that they haven't sat down and said, well, who am I? Like, what do I actually have to say in the world? What do I want to put out into the world? And I help them first figure out what is it that they actually want? Because most of the time that answer is, is not there. Especially if you're the type of person who's always helping others and solving other people's problems, it's so easy to just not say, well, what is it that I actually want? What is it that I'm looking for? Once they understand that, then it's about helping them create that referable brand. And once they've got that referable brand, then it's about them actually putting that out into the world, actually letting people know about what they're doing, talking to the people in their, in their community, and figuring out ways to spread their message so that they move more in that thought leader space. So fascinating because I see the same thing with my clients. So many, I work with um, mostly women and and so many women come in and they don't know what it is that they want. They don't know what makes them happy and they've suppressed it so much or denied it or made themselves wrong for it that it's quite a big endeavor to actually bring it to the surface in the the first place. But if you don't know what you want, then you're not going to be able to move forward with that business dream or whatever the dream may be. Because you need that clarity. And I think sometimes people think that they have to have everything mapped out. 
instead Uh, of just taking that first step and like following those little whispers about what it is that they want just follow that first thing that you know you have clarity about and then the rest will unfold but it's so amazing to me that so many people are disconnected from their desires yeah it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing the other the other piece that i feel based on what you said is that i feel like a lot of the time i call it polishing the car but never driving it where what we, we have this sort of perfect vision of something in our mind of what we want our business to look like or what we want our life to look like or even how we want to look when we're asking for something or whatever it is. So we spend all of our time trying to make it perfect as opposed to just getting it out into the world. And I, I see this all the time with content where, where people will agonize over writing one article or one post or And the fact of the matter is, until you get it out there, you're just never going to know what's resonating and what's working. Uh, And you can spend your entire life, you know, just trying to polish something and and get it perfect and never actually get out there. So I think that that's something that comes up a lot uh, for, for entrepreneurs, especially in those early stages. Definitely. And I remember that feeling associated with that desire to wait. You know, when I put out my first newsletter and there were just 15 friends and family on my email list, that was really scary because I was wondering how people were going to judge me. And so I totally get it. But it comes back to feeling that fear, but taking action anyway. And just knowing that that fear is a sign of something amazing is happening and you're pushing yourself and stepping outside of your comfort zone. And that's really, really powerful. And that's how you get to what it is that you really want. Exactly. So one of the questions I love to ask my guests here on this show is a little bit about your own life. So what it sounds like to me is that you've created a life that is better than your dreams. You're doing something different maybe than what you expected, but you're getting to use so many of your talents and your previous experience right now today. So I'd love to know, what do you think is the key to creating a life better than your dreams that other people can implement starting now? So I think that... The thing that is often forgotten about is reflection. So there's tons of material and content on there about planning. There's a lot of things about goal setting. There's a lot of things about execution. But very few people talk about the fact that all of the lessons are in your reflecting back on the experience that you had. And when I was a teacher, one of the models was plan, act, reflect. You would plan your lesson, you'd act on it, and at the end you would reflect. So I think that if you want to create the life of your dreams, it's about doing the work and then when the work is done, whatever you've finished, looking back and saying what did work and what didn't. And I think that what tends to happen is when we have success, we say, oh, that was awesome and we run off and we celebrate. And when we have failure, we say, oh, that was bad and we go and we feel bad. But what we don't do and what I think is so important is sitting down and saying, okay, why did that success happen or why did that failure happen and what can I learn? You know, again, going back to the idea of being a student of the process, really taking the time, any decision that you make, anything that you do, whatever the outcome, going back and reflecting on that decision, I think is the most powerful tool that you have. That's so key. And how do you do that in your own life? Is it journaling? What does it look like? Yeah, so for me, I have something I call the gate strategy. Um, And it's basically every day I open and close the gate. So every day I give 
without expectation of return. Every day I come up with something that I can just do to help somebody within my circle, within my network. I've, it has no tie to my business. It, you know, it's more of just like I just do something that I think will help. Every day I challenge myself to ask for something that I actually need uh, because I feel like a lot of the time we sort of hoard up our asks and we only ask at certain times. So every day I make sure to ask. Every day I thank someone appropriately. Every day I think about who is somebody that I want to thank and let them know what they've done and what it's meant to me. And then every day I experiment. So every day I look at variables in my life and I say, how could I do this differently? What types of things could I try differently? Could I meet somebody in a different location? Could I try a different concept? Could I change one slide in a talk that I'm doing? And then at the end of the day, I close the gate. I ask myself, what did I learn from that give? What did I learn when I did that ask? What did I learn when I said thank you? And what did I learn from that experiment? And then I have this you know, notepad, basically, of um, patterns. And based on those patterns, I can develop more frameworks. If I start to notice, oh, every time I give to people within this community, this is what happens. Or every time I ask in this way, this is the result, I can start to figure out what's more effective and what isn't. Oh, my gosh. I'm obsessed with that. I can't <laughs> wait to try it for myself. And that's so easy. So I've been experimenting with morning and evening routines. And so I've been trying various things. So I'm going to try that one today. I love yeah, it. I'd love to hear what you think. <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah. And final question. I'd love to know what you're excited about in the next few months or even the next year. Sure. Um, so the uh, the podcast that I have, uh, I've been working on, I've been co-hosting for a very, very long time. And uh, what's going to happen is over the next couple of months, there's going to be a transition and I'm actually going to be the sole host because my co-host is going on to work on another, uh, another podcasting project. So I'm really excited about the idea of being the, being the sole host as opposed to a co-host because it's just a very, very different dynamic. Uh, and being able to dig even deeper with people in in regards to these relationship questions and really sort of finding the opportunities and all those different types of things. And the other thing that I'm just super excited about is, you know, my my 18-month-old daughter. I'm, I'm getting to watch my daughter grow up and, and, and just be amazing. And it's, uh, you know, that, that's always uh, a super, super exciting part of my life. Incredible. So the podcast is called Access to Anyone. And then yep. where can everyone find you online? Sure. Uh, my website is smallpawnenterprises.com. Uh, and then I'm also all over the socials. So uh, you can find me on uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. Reach out at any point. Always happy to be helpful. Thank you so much, Michael. Well, it's been incredible speaking to you. And thank you for giving the audience so much value. All these simple frameworks are things that we can implement literally today. So there's no excuse. Thank you so again exciting. for being a part of the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And for all the I Heart My Life for listening, remember that you too can create a life that's better than your dreams. You just have to get started, take action, ask for help, and give to others starting today. And until next time, I'm Emily Williams, and I'll see you very soon on the next episode of the I Heart My Life Show. Bye.